0: Um, first, I want to make you aware of something. If you, if you notice in your bulletins, um, the title, scripture, occasion, and date, that's all messed up. Sorry about that. Um, it's supposed to have the scripture as uh, not just the Bible in general, but Psalm 119. So hopefully you've already figured that out. And today is not today 1, 2011. Today is January 3rd of 2016. So Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Um, we are in Psalm 119 today, so you can go and turn there if you would like to. We are talking today about God's Word, God's perfect, holy, infallible, inerrant Word. I can't even imp- produce an error-free bulletin, I mean, a four-page bulletin, and yet what we have in the Scriptures is uh, 66 books from 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years, uh, written by people ranging from shepherds to kings to fishermen to doctors, yet it is without error. It's perfect, and it tells one story. But before we get into Psalm 119, I want to bring up a picture this morning. So uh, let me ask the kids out there, what, what is that a picture of? Can you figure out what that's a picture of? A diamond. You're right. It is a diamond. But actually, it's not a a very pretty picture of a diamond, and actually if, the, if our resolution on our screen was a little better, it would look more like an ice cube right there. But that, you're right, that is a diamond, but maybe it doesn't look like a diamond to some of you in here, it looks more like just like a rock, or, or like I said, an ice cube. And so the next picture really helps us to see what the diamond looks like in its final form. That's the same diamond on the left as on the right there. And uh, the diamond on the right looks perhaps more like what we're used to when we think of what a diamond looks like. Uh, For a diamond to really exhibit its true worth and its glory and its beauty, it it must be cut. Now, diamond cutting is a specialized art, a very difficult process that transforms the diamond from a, a stone, as you see over there on the left, into a beautiful multifaceted gem. Only when the diamond is cut can we see its full beauty, its full glory, and only then can its full value be evidenced. Now a truly valuable diamond will be cut in such a way that it has lots of these little, uh, it's multifaceted, it has lots of flat spots on it. And the multifaceted nature of that gem allows the light to sparkle off of it no matter which way it turns. Each facet of a beautiful diamond reflects The beauty and the value of the diamond. Now today, in Psalm 119, we are examining another jewel. A much greater jewel, a much more valuable jewel than those diamonds right there. A much more valuable jewel than any diamond that has ever been unearthed in the history of the world. Today we will hold in our hands and examine the Word of God. We'll do this by looking at Psalm 119 which is a psalm that is all about the Word of God. Some have called Psalm 19 the jewel of the Scriptures because it testifies to the beauty of God's Word. The subject matter of the whole psalm is God's Word, the Scriptures. And Psalm 119 shows us in great magnificence many facets of God's Word. We see God's Word presented in many different ways. And thus the glory of God is shown as we see the multifaceted nature of the Scriptures. And the value of the Scriptures is evidenced. There are a few Psalms that stir up the heart than this one does for believers. Today I hope to see a few different facets of God's Word We can't exhaust this psalm in one sermon, no way. But I hope to show, just highlight a few different facets of God's Word as we look at Psalm 119. Now, this is a huge psalm. Matter of fact, it's the largest of all the psalms. Matter of fact, the psalm itself is larger than a lot of books in the Bible. There are 176 verses in the psalm to be exact. We're not going to read all those verses right now. We've been reading them progressively through the service already. My plan right now is to read another significant portion of it, and at the end of the sermon I'll read another portion of it, and then we'll end the whole service with the final portion of Psalm 119. Now unlike how I normally preach, what you guys are used to, I'm not going to exposit a particular section of the scripture of this, of this Psalm 119. Instead, I'm going to give us an overview sermon of the whole psalm and draw out some things, some, some themes from Psalm 119. I plan to focus on several of those facets, as I mentioned earlier. So I want to invite you now, if you would, to stand as we read the next portion of Psalm 119, beginning in verse 105. Psalm 119, we're going to begin in verse 105. And what we have here is God's inerrant, infallible word about his word. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me. But I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live And let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold above fine gold therefore I consider all your precepts to be right I hate every false way your testimonies are wonderful therefore my soul keeps them the unfolding of your words gives light it imparts understanding to the simple I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this word about your word. Lord, thank you for Psalm 119. Lord, I pray that we as believers would continually come back to this jewel and just look at it and gaze upon it and learn from it day in, day out throughout this next year. And I pray that this jewel of Psalm 119 would drive us to see your whole word as so precious, so important, so vital. That we cannot go a day this year, in 2016, without it. If we can't go without food, how can we go without your word? So God, I pray that you'd stir up affections for yourself and for your word this morning as we preach Psalm 119. Open my mouth to speak, give me the words to say, and open all of our ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A little background here about Psalm 119 before we take a look at some of these different facets of God's word as seen in Psalm 119. First of all, this psalm has no superscription. It doesn't tell us who wrote the psalm. A lot of the psalms have that. It'll have it just before the psalm, like a psalm of David or a psalm of Asaph. But this psalm does not have that. We do not know who wrote this psalm. So people have speculated about its authorship. Most of the time, people assume David wrote it. But in reality, when you look at some of the details of the psalm, it seems to have been written at least by someone during exile or post-exilic era. So that's led some people to think Ezra wrote it. But there's some modern scholarship today that thinks that this psalm was probably written by Daniel. And I find that pretty convincing. If you look at some of the things in the psalm and you hear, hear the person in the psalm talking about his oppressors. And, and it seems that he is you know, there's no mention of the temple or any type of Jewish worship In Psalm 119. So it seems to give the indication that when this psalm was written was during a period when the Jews were not at the temple or didn't have the temple at their disposal. And it's very interesting because it seems like the Word of God now is the central piece of worship for the Jewish people as you read Psalm 119. There's other aspects in this text that seem to point toward Daniel that I don't have time to go into. But even though we don't know for sure who the author is, We do know that whoever wrote it had a lot of skill, a lot of talent, and was a genius with words. Because this psalm is both beautiful in its language and its structure. The style of the psalm is proverbial, meaning it's a wisdom psalm. It probably sounds a lot like Proverbs to you as you're reading through Psalm 119. And the structure. The structure of the psalm is is, is that it's a huge acrostic. There are 22 stanzas in the psalm which each represent the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are eight verses in each stanza, each starting with that same letter of that Hebrew alphabet. So, for example, verses 1 through 8 all start with the Hebrew letter Aleph, which is the Hebrew equivalent to our letter A. And the verses 9 through 16 all start with the Hebrew letter Bet, which is the equivalent uh, to our letter B, and so on and so on. Now, why... Why an acrostic? Well, some believe it may have been a a mnemonic device to help people memorize. So if if each stanza starts with the same letter, it helps people memorize the psalm. So maybe that was part of the intent behind it. But I think there's something else here. I think the psalmist is communicating something to us about the Word of God as he uses all the letters of the alphabet. I think what he's saying is it covers everything, as we would say, from A to Z. I think think that the psalmist is communicating something about the sufficiency of God's Word. God's Word is sufficient to cover everything from A to Z. God's Word is complete. It transcends the limits of our language, and it's totally sufficient. It's as if Daniel, if he's the one who wrote it, is saying in 176 verses, the exact same thing the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3:16 which is that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work the word of god is totally sufficient now another quick note <clears throat> excuse me about the structure i mentioned that there are 8 verses in each stanza and this may be because in this psalm overall there are eight synonym, synonyms used by the psalmist to refer to the scriptures. So I want to look briefly at these synonyms. And as we do, some of the multifaceted beauty of God's words is going to begin to emerge. Some of that beauty represented here in Psalm 119. First of all, 25 times the psalmist calls the scriptures God's law. God's law. Now, the word refers to God's instructions. Uh, God is the divine lawgiver, and thus he has laid out instructions for mankind. By calling the scriptures God's law, the psalmist is saying that the word is not mere information to be absorbed, but it's divine truth to be obeyed. Secondly, 23 times in this psalm, the psalmist uses the word testimonies. Sometimes this word is translated witness, meaning that what we have in the scriptures is God's divine attestation, his witness, his testimony about himself. This speaks to the dependability of scriptures, for they are not comprised merely of men's words, but it's God's divine testimony for us written down. Thirdly, we see the word commandments used by the psalmist 22 times, and this communicates that the scriptures have authority. They are not to be snubbed or scorned God has the right as God to command what he wills. 21 times in the psalm we are told that the scriptures are God's precepts, meaning that God is a teacher and we learn from him. The word implies that God has tender care for and guidance for his children. He teaches us like a school teacher or like a parent would teach us. And that's what the word precepts communicates. Also appearing 21 times in the psalm is the word statutes which, like the word law, implies a lawgiver. But the word statutes highlights the binding nature and the permanence of God's law. God's law can't be broken because they are his statutes. The word ordinances is also used 17 times, and the implication is that God has laid down rules for living whereby his people can thrive. God wants his children to live and and have blessed lives, and so he lays down ordinances to help us Live the life he wants for us. Thirteen times, the, the, the psalmist calls the scriptures God's promises, which implies the trustworthiness of God and his faithfulness to his people. He calls them promises. And finally, and most numerously, 29 times, the psalmist simply calls the scriptures the Word. The Word. Now, this is a general term used for the scriptures, but it's significant. For it teaches us that what we have here is from the mouth of God. He has spoken, as Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 13:15, "Hear and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. We have His word." So every word of this book. Is breathed out by God. It is from God. It is, th- is through His Holy Spirit. Second Peter one twenty one. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Now, when we begin to talk about God's Word that way, some people accuse us of something that they called bibliolatry. Have you ever been called a bibliolatrist? Basically, it's people saying that you're turning the Word of God into the fourth person of the Godhead by by ascribing such things to it and that you're worshiping the Bible. I was in seminary and had a fellow seminary student accuse me of that and say something along the lines of you and all you other inerrantists. You're simply bibliolatrists. You're turning the Bible into an idol. Well, I simply said to him what I believe and what I'll say to you today. You cannot separate God from His Word. It's quite simple. We encounter Him as we read His Word. To meditate upon the Word is to meditate upon God. We do not worship the Word, but we cannot worship God without the Word. To worship God without the Word is to worship a God of our own making. The Word is true and infallible and inerrant, Because God is true and infallible and inerrant. The word is unchangeable and upright and perfect and eternal and infinitely valuable because the one who spoke it is unchangeable and upright and perfect and eternal and infinitely valuable. So we will not back away from declaring the glory of our God and the glories of his word. So let's take some time now to to look at this psalm a bit. Albeit, as I said earlier, not fully, for that would, that would be a sermon series in and of itself. I actually contemplated just going ahead and launching into about a 23-week sermon series on this psalm. Someday we'll do it, but that would mess up the preaching schedule. I've already been working with the deemer. So we're just, but someday we'll come back and we'll hit this for 23 weeks and go through it more slowly. But today, I just want us to give us a flyover and see some of the facets as we enter into 2016, my prayer is that the word of God will dwell in us richly and produce in us what we see here in Psalm 119. There are things that we want to see this, the, the word produce in us. And there's, there's some things that I see here in Psalm 119 that the word of God should produce in his people. And I've summarized, there's many things, but I've summarized them sort of into four words. So, the word of God produces in God's people, number one, pleasure. What clearly stands out in this psalm is that the Word of God is to be a source of great joy and delight for God's people. Over and over and over again, we see it. Matter of fact, I think it's the the biggest theme running throughout this psalm is this delight that we are to have, this pleasure we are are to experience in God's Word. We see it in the very first couple of verses. Verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. What we see in the word blessed is that word could also be translated happy. Happy, delighted, overjoyed is the man who walks in the ways of the Lord. Happy is the man who keeps God's testimonies. A few days ago we were all saying happy. New Year, right? You want to have a happy and blessed 2016? Then friends, the means, the way to have a happy New Year is to find yourself immersed in this word in 2016. This is the way God's people have a happy New Year, is they find themselves anchored to this word day in and day out throughout the year. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Anybody? New Year's resolutions, you can admit it. Anthony is the only one aiming for some sort of change in 2016. All right, good job, Anthony. Okay, so people do they make New Year's resolutions, and now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because y'all didn't put your hands up when I asked the other question. But how many of you have resolved to be more disciplined to be in this book in 2016? Let me tell you, not a single one of us know the scriptures as we should and are as disciplined as we could be. So it should be, every one of us should have a resolution that we are going to be in the Word of God more fully, more consistently, and it will be our delight and our great satisfaction to be in it in 2016. So listen to the psalmist now as he talks about delighting in God's Word. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Having all riches will not... Give you the delight that God's word will. Riches disappoint, riches fade, but God's word does not. When one's heart is open to the value, when one's heart sees the gem that God's word really is, it becomes to him his greatest delight. We want the word more than anything else. I came across a story of a man, this is a story from a hundred years ago, a man in Africa who had recently bought a farm. He was tilling up his new field on this new farm, and he was preparing to plant when he came across a huge, strange-looking stone. He carried it into the farmhouse, he placed it on the mantle, and he left it there. Many years went by. Years later, a visitor to the farmer's house saw the unusual stone over the fireplace, examined it, and then turned to the owner of the farm and said, What you have here... What you have found is one of the largest diamonds ever known to mankind. How many people's Bibles sit on the mantles of their houses? How many of our Bibles sit on the shelves and the mantles of our homes, unread, unrecognized, undesired? Oh, friend, let us hear and heed the psalmist's disposition toward the Word. Let us be people that desire the word in 2016 as the psalmist does. Just listen to what the psalmist said, and this is just a tiny sampling. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Verse 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Is this how we feel about God's word? Is this how we feel about the Bible sitting on our mantles? If so, then it should be evidenced in our lives, in the way we think, in what we say, in how we spend our time, in all that we do. If Psalm 119, verse 103, is really true to us, and it says this, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. If that is what we believe, then we'll be like Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) I thought that might catch some of you off guard. Kids, you remember Winnie the Pooh? I used to love watching Winnie the Pooh. He has to have that honey, doesn't he? Remember that one scene in one of the cartoons, and The honey's up in the tree, and he's got to get to it. And he's trying and trying, making all of his effort to get to that honey. Finally, he takes a balloon and ties around his waist and floats up there and embraves those mean bees in order to get that honey. Nothing was going to stop Winnie the Pooh from getting what he desired. Is the word of God that sweet to your taste? Is it sweeter than honey to your mouth? Will there be anything in 2016 that'll stop you from getting in this word? Please don't let it be TV. Please don't let it be your work. Psalm 119, 103. Do we want the word of God that badly? Do you want the Bible like that? The Word of God should produce in us great pleasure, therefore it should be our great treasure. But the Word of God should also produce in God's people purity. Purity. God's Word is the means by which God's people are sanctified, purified. It is a means by which we are made into the image of Christ. How does the Word of God do this? Well, the psalmist tells us that, that's, that it shows us our sin, it convicts us of our sin, it reforms us, it renews us. Psalm 119, 29 Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Keep steady, verse 133, my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments. That's what the word of God does in us. It convicts us. It draws us back to him. It protects us from the world. It keeps us pure. The word of God makes us sensitive to sin. It convicts us of sin. It changes us. It leads us in the way of life. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. There's one that we could use for TV right there. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Verse 105, perhaps one of the best known of this psalm, your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. Verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so the word of God, it it changes us. It stirs us up towards holiness. It reforms our hearts. It guides our steps. But it also stirs up in us a hatred of sin and righteous indignation when we see sin. Verse 53. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. So the word of God leads us in holiness, it guides us in purity. It is our guide. I used to use the illustration with children when I was talking about God's word of a map. Okay, and I said, God's word is like a map, but really that wasn't a good illustration because Really, most of those kids probably knew their fathers, and we know men don't like to use maps, right? Men, we know where we're going. We don't need the map. That was until someone, some genius, figured out that what men love more than being right is gadgets, and they put maps on our phones, all right? So now I do use a map, unlike previously, because I have it with me all the time, and I can use it. And and I don't, you know, have to sacrifice my pride because it's cool to bring up your map on your phone. So it's with me all the time. I've got Google Maps right here. God's Word should be with us all the time. All the time. No, we may not have our Bible with us, but Psalm 119.11 is one of those psalms we need to memorize because it's about memorizing. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so I've introduced via email the other night, and it's in your bulletins today, a new memory verse program. So we're going to do more memory verses in 2016, just like we did the previous three years. But this time, I'm going to use the fighter verse program. So you've got this little uh, bookmark for you with all the verses for the year listed here. And I sent you an email that has all the information about different apps you can use to help you do what Psalm 119.11 calls for us to do. So that we can be guided in a life of holiness in 2016. So from Psalm 119, we see that God's Word produces pleasure in God's people. It produces purity. But also we see that it produces perseverance. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. God's Word, as it becomes our delight and it guides us in purity, it also guards our soul. It keeps us. It causes us to persevere. It keeps us from the shame that we sinners are so deserving of. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Verse 80, may my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. It gives us hope to press on. Verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Verse 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. So it gives us strength. It helps us to persevere by giving us hope. But it also gives us strength to endure this wicked world that hates God, hates God's word, and hates God's children. Verse 95, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. O oh, friends, let the word of God keep us. Let, it, let us stand on its unshakable promises. Verse 151, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me according to the promise to your servant. Verse 116, uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let, not, let me not be put to shame in my hope. Yes, the word of God keeps us. The word of God strengthens us. It causes us to stand on unshakable promises. And therefore, it's also a source of peace and comfort. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort. O Lord, verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble Nothing can make them stumble. So God's word, it refreshes, renews, revives, strengthens, encourages us. God keeps those who are his. And we find that God uses his words as a means of keeping those who are his. About as foolish as men who refuse to use maps are men who ignore that little Little light that comes on in the car that has a fuel symbol, right? Every now and then it comes on and, and if you're like me, you think, I can just make it a little bit longer, a few more times, and unfortunately it's using my wife that ends up in the car needing for it to be refilled. But so too it's foolish for us believers to think that we can go through life, we can endure, we can persevere without the word of God as the fuel in our tank. If you run on fumes long enough, you'll eventually stop running. Jesus does say that those who endure to the end will be saved. But When our life is filled with the precious word of God, we have fire in our engine, burning in our bones, a zeal in our hearts. and What flows out of us is the desire for God produced by his word. The next thing produced by God's word, not only pleasure, purity, and perseverance, but praise. Quite simply, the word of God fuels us so that we can worship God. By his word, we can know him more fully and worship him more rightly. Listen to the psalmist again, and here's, again, just a sampling. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. God stirs up awe in Psalm 119, verse 38. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. The word stirs up singing, verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. It stirs up continual praise. Verse 62, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. It trains us to worship God and magnify his sovereignty amidst the challenges of life. Look at verse verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Oh, friends, the only way for you to say that The only way for you to say that is to be taught by the word of God about God's sovereignty. It produces worship in us that also spreads to others. Verse 74 Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Yes, the word of God is our fuel. It stokes us to praise. My lips pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. Verse 171 You teach me your statutes. Now another theme running throughout this psalm, and I'm I'm going to bring this into a conclusion here pretty quick. Another theme running throughout this psalm is what's said there in the last part of that verse 171. For you teach me your statutes. For our only hope, our only hope for gaining anything from God's word is for him to teach it to us. For him to open our eyes. For him to do a work in our heart. For our good, God leaves no room in Psalm one nineteen for us to be glory grabbers. So we read this in verse eighteen: "Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law." We read this in verse twenty seven: "Make me understand the ways of your precepts, and I'll meditate on your wondrous works." In verse seventy three, "Your hands have made me and fashioned me; give me understanding." That I may learn your commandments. So, yes, God's law is beautiful. It is a beautiful diamond. God's statutes, His precepts, His commandments. Do you see the beauty and the glory of God's word? Do you see the glory of God's law? Now, some of you may be asking, does this really square with what the Apostle Paul says about God's law? Does Paul Paul really view it as a multifaceted gem like we have said here today? Because remember what Paul said in Romans 7, verse 10? He says, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. But Steve, you just said that, that God's law leads us in the way of life, but Paul here is saying that the law proved to be death. The commandment proved to be death. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that the letter, meaning the law, kills. And in Galatians 3, Paul calls the law a curse. So are we to view it as a gem or as a curse? Well, first we need to know that in most of those passages, Paul is using the word law in a more technical sense to refer to the, to the Mosaic law that governed Israel. But still, how are we to view the Old Testament scriptures in general? And remember what the author of Psalm 119, he, remember he only has the Old Testament to draw from here. So how, how are we to view the, the Old Covenant law in the light of what Paul says, and in the light of what the psalmist says? Well, the key is this. What is the main purpose of God's Word, including the law? What is the main purpose? God's Word is not an end unto itself. It's a means to a greater end. The law itself is not our means for salvation or justification. Instead, it is the gracious, graciously given instruction that speaks of and testifies to and proclaims the one who is the means of our salvation and our justification before God. Basically, the law is glorious and multifaceted and beautiful because of what Jesus said in Luke 24. Because we read in Luke 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Psalm 119, like every other passage of scripture, points to Jesus. So the law is good, and it is a delight if we see who it is pointing to. But the law is not good. It is a curse for the man who misses what it is pointing to. John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The law is a curse for the lost man, for he is under condemnation of the law. But for the man who has been redeemed, for the man who has Christ, the law is his delight. The saved man loves God's word and finds that the law is written on his heart. Therefore, he now has a desire to keep God's law and has the indwelling spirit to enable him to keep God's law. And so the law is ultimately about his Lord, Jesus Christ. So my last point is simply this. The word of God points God's people to Jesus. The word of God points God's people to Jesus. And so we see it here in Psalm 119 as well. The psalmist is trusting in salvation, salvation that ultimately can only come from God through a Savior that God would provide. Verse 41, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise, 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 including the promise of Genesis 3.15. Verse 123, my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. All the promises find their yes in Christ Jesus. And we see in Psalm 119 that salvation cannot be earned. It can only be given by the grace and mercy of God. Verse 132, turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Oh, that verse right there is a verse about faith. Verse 156 Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. And we so we see that ultimately it is the psalmist's faith. It is his hope in the graces, salvation, and redemption of God that drives him into deeper love for and desire for God's word. Verse 166 I hope for your salvation, O Lord and I do your commandments. And there we have it. Psalm 119. What a gem. Oh, believer, do not neglect this word. Do not be like the farmer who had it sitting on his mantle. An unbeliever, if there be any unbelievers here in the room this morning, do not turn away from God's word. Hear how glorious it is and put your hope in the one it points to, Jesus Christ. Now, the story I told earlier about the The farmer that found the diamond actually has an ironic twist to it. You see, there's another part of the story that came before that. He found that diamond in the farm that he had recently purchased. And the person he purchased it from decided he was going to sell all of his possessions because recently it had been discovered that there were diamonds in Africa. And this happened in Africa. And he found out that there were diamonds, so he was going to go on a hunt for diamonds And so in order to go on this journey to look for diamonds, he had to sell everything he had in order to go looking for the diamonds. What he didn't realize is that he was walking away from what would turn out to be the biggest diamond mine in the history of Africa that was already in his backfield. Oh, unbeliever, here this morning, if you walk away from this place this morning without seeing who this scripture points to, without loving God through His Word and desiring God because of His Word, then you're walking away from the greatest treasure you could ever walk away from. Do not walk away from what you've heard this morning. Long ago and in many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So unbeliever, turn from your sin, repent of it, and turn to this Christ, this final word for forgiveness. And pray with the psalmist in verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Let's pray. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I wanna pray by praying the next portion of this psalm to God. As you're getting ready to pray, you may not realize this, this whole psalm is a prayer, with the exception of three verses. With the exception of three verses, this whole psalm is a prayer. So let's pray these words beginning in verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness. And in all faithfulness, my zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. O Father, let this be our prayer, that we believe that your word was founded. Before the foundation of the world, your word was, and it will endure forever. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.